0: Give it a go. The Podcast Platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert Today, translating Arabic into Hebrew in an apartheid country, with Yael Lerah. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is uh, Yael Lehrer, who is uh, uh, an actress, <laughs> uh, the, but also the the founder and uh, chief editor of uh, Andalus Publishing that we will talk about, uh, and also the co-founder of um, of uh, Balad, the, the um, Balad, the one of the po- Palestinian political party in Israel, uh, and also. Uh, i guess a journalist as well and uh, or writes for newspapers every now and then but many many other roles uh anyway hello Yael. hello uh so today we will t- i guess we will address uh, uh a few of uh, a few of um, those uh, responsibilities that you have in the um, in the struggle the political struggle in uh, in palestine i mean can say palestine israel palestine but we're really talking about the same thing we're not we're not uh we're not uh going to use the word palestine as uh, many people do as uh, to to speak about what we call the occupied palestinian territories but as a as a historical territory um and so maybe to to begin with i think uh, i'd be very interested to talk about this uh this uh, publishing house that you created. In, uh, when was that, 2002?
1: No, it was in 2000. In 2000. I, actually, we started just before 2000. I see. Uh, before the, I mean, the idea came at the, I don't know, the end of ni- 99 or the beginning of 2000, before the second uh, Intifada had started. Hmm. So actually, it was a moment that there was still some hope for something, for a change. And then, when we were really publishing the books, it was already the the beginning of the Intifada, and in the way it was like, uh, I felt for many years, I think it took me five years or so to understand that we are not in a temporary situation. It was always like, this will end tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and then we will go back to, I don't know exactly why, but uh, to the, the old order. So we started at that time. I mean, the ideas. I was one of those people that uh, criticised the Oslo Accord. I mean, I was very young. I'm not like I'm not taking credit from people like uh, Edward Said or uh, Azmi Bishara, whom I worked with. But um, we saw the problematics of the Oslo Accord uh, back then in '93. I mean, the fact that it didn't. Uh, spoke about uh, didn't speak about evacuating the settlements and not Jerusalem no the prisoner issue the right to return return, but even like uh, 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 direct occupation Mm -hmm. uh, issues like settlements I mean there was no and but I must say that all the critics that uh, was at that time so on one hand we had this critique one can say today that uh, we could not even imagine how bad the situation will be 20 years or 22 years uh, later but on the other hand uh, just after that like 93 94 95 and so this is the situation, I mean, you cannot be any more an opposant to this thing, like an opposer. You cannot say, okay, I'm against it, and I'm boycotting the situation. No, you are living there, you are living in Israel-Palestine. I prefer always to use slash mm-hmm. while writing, because it is really one place, it's the same place. And then the names that we use, you can speak about Palestine historically, we can speak about Eretz Israel historically, mm-hmm. uh, Eretz Israel, which is in Hebrew, the land of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Israel... And this, right, and this is right, and this is is because, you know, uh, always. But in any case, so you live there, you live with this situation, and then you cope. I mean, you, mm-hmm. and with, with all the problematics of, of the, the accord, then you do think that there is, maybe, it's not perfect, it, it has many problems, but the framework was the framework of negotiation, of a, a peace process now, this the world peace process uh, has, has such a bad reputation, but originally peace is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, t- sometimes I mean I'm the first person to say always the word peace say nothing, but sometimes I have to remind myself that peace is a good thing by I mean <laughs> by origin. So so I was um, already I did many things in both domains, like in culture and in politics. And at that time, it was at the end of '99. I felt I, I used to work in in ballot party in the parliament. Uh, I ran the elections campaign, but I also worked uh, in the office of, a, of a Azmi Bishara as a spokesperson, and, but also in the parliamentary work which was very tough on a daily basis, because when you r- work for an office in the parliament that represents an um, uh, underprivileged uh, population, you you touch the the, the the daily difficulties of people, which are something that one cannot imagine uh, when he's uh, or she is American or... Or European. I mean, the depth of poverty, the depth of problem. What it means the occupation? How the impact on the personal life of someone? Not in this dramatic moments of a, a war or massacre or when your house is completely ruined, but in the, this daily life that you cannot go to the university, not because you're a, you're not a, a excellent student, not because just because you are from Gaza, and you cannot go to Birzet University in Ramallah, or you cannot live with your loved one. I mean, you cannot live, you cannot choose your uh, husband or your wife because the occupation doesn't let you live together in the same place, or that you cannot get, get health care, even though the, the, the hospital is only 30 minutes from your house. And like many, many uh, uh, things... Like that that Palestinian people um, in the occupied territories, but also sometimes in Israel uh, itself, they suffer from, and sometimes it seems to be like normal, but it's really not normal. And for me, uh, at one point, I, I felt that I cannot take it anymore on, on a, a daily basis, but also because um, I, I'm very lucky to be a... Co-founder of a political party uh, of Balad, which is basically represent the um, Palestinian uh, citizens in Israel. I mean, it's like oh, the Palestinian citizens uh, in Israel are about 20% of the population, only 14% of the electorate, because it's a very, it's young it's young, younger population if we compare it to, to, mm-hmm. to the normal population. And um, it it has three political parties that nowadays they went uh, to the parliament uh, as a joint list together, which is a very good thing that I worked for it uh, a lot uh, uh, in the recent years. Uh, and uh, this party is a party that, I mean, our basic agenda spoke about uh, on one hand uh, that a very radical and uh, a radical uh, uh, idea uh, that the state should be a state of its citizens it's again uh, something that is considered to be radical uh, in the israeli political map but actually we spoke about uh, equality we spoke about the the notion the normal notion of citizenship uh, uh, of the the republic uh, of the, the america like and but, in Israel, that's considered to be dangerous and, and radical from one hand, and from because it's opposed the idea of a Jewish state, because we think that a state should not be neither Jewish, neither Muslim neither Christian, but to serve its citizens in equality and not to give to one ethnicity or one religion privileged and to make the other underprivileged which Sounds very normal, but when you understand how much israel uh, how Israel is gaining support from I- in Europe and in the states, and the, the idea of a Jewish state uh, has so much support, so you don 't really understand how it went, how it goes together with the declared principles of uh, all of these politicians and uh, and countries. And on the other hand uh, it stresses a lot about the, the um, national identity of the Palestinians, saying that uh, if the oppression is based on the national uh, background, so the resistance should has, should also uh, be like that, but also the fact that uh, and it's something that I strongly believe in it, that equal citizenship is important, but one should not and could not erase identities. And to be like a full person, you have to know where you are coming from and where you are going to. Mm -hmm. And identity is important in that sense. So in any case, uh, that political party, which was... started like many political parties uh, in a room with 20 people, and then it's become a party when 100,000 people... uh, feeling that, that this is their voice and their identification. Uh, I'm very proud that I was there to help to create it, but on the other hand, I felt at the same time, I, after uh, five years, that um, I should work also among my own community, because I'm a, we didn't say it, but I'm a Jewish-Israeli. I... I was born in Tel Aviv, and I, le- I lived uh, most of uh, my life, and, uh, and then it's nice and important to work in the minority, in the oppressed uh, people, uh, community, to create a resistance from there where most of my friends, I was one of the few Jewish people uh, in the creation of this party, but it's it is also i i thought very important uh, to work among my own uh, community and then I had this idea of having this publishing house that combined my uh, knowledge uh, of both languages like uh, Hebrew and uh, arabic my but also that was something that um, I felt, that the fact that at one point, not only that I learned Arabic uh, to the level that I you know, I don't know if you know, but I'm also I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, public speaking in uh, in Arabic uh, in in the media, basically. But uh, uh, also to to live uh, like when you're a political activist, it's become also your social ambience and you have your friends and then it's it's a window for for whole culture, music, literature, poetry, cinema, and in a way, I I I think about myself as a very privileged um, person. I mean, having this privilege to to have this opening to to be exposed to, to all of these things, and the idea of the publishing house was to combine all of this. Like, I will do some work um, within my own community by sharing with them the luck that I have myself, like this privilege that I have myself of uh, of knowing all of these things or being exposed to all of these things that they don't have any opportunity to be exposed. In a very strange way, almost nothing was translated uh, from uh, Arabic into Hebrew before we started. I mean, very sporadic things, and I, I I don't think that like I I forgot the the exact uh, numbers that exist in some research that I did now. One can find it in Google on on translation. But um, we basically doubled the the production. Mm-hmm. the translation from um, Arabic literature into Hebrew and the number of pages uh, maybe even more mm-hmm. because the things that were translated before were really tiny and we translated few huge novels especially Babi Shams uh, Gate of the Sun of Elias khoury the Lebanese writer mm-hmm. that speaks about uh, uh, so the Nakba so the idea come from from that Like to to try to do this thing, which is a little bit uh, that that strangely enough. When I'm saying that it's strange that it doesn't exist, is it is also because I like to to look on Israel-Palestine as one place, because you know many times people uh, that I meet here in france especially activists for against occupation they will tell you i was in israel and in palestine Mm -hmm. and i'm always asking them can you tell me exactly when did you pass from israel or to palestine or from palestine to israel and actually no but no one can really tell me because normally when we pass from one country to another country i mean like you Different countries, not within the European Union, but which is also interesting question to ask nowadays. So there is a change of um, uh, currency, or somebody is checking our passport, or there is complete change of language, and all of this doesn't exist over there because uh, beto- the, the the wall and the, it does, doesn't correspond the green line the checkpoints that are never on the green line the economy is one there is the same currency the same economy uh, in the whole area which is controlled by by the, the Israelis there is Arabic and Hebrew in both sides like even even if we construct the green line in a very artificial way which is not on the ground but let's imagine it so we will find that on quote-to-quote the Israeli side, there is 20% or more Palestinians, and in West Bank, in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, which is part of the West Bank according to the inter- international law, there is about 25% Israelis, mm-hmm. Israeli Jews, because today we are we are. Between 500 six hundred and six 700, six, 700, yeah. something like yeah. this, six hundred thousand uh, uh, settlers, when there are, uh two millions or between two 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 millions and yeah, 2 million oh, two one, yeah. two millions uh, Palestinians.
0: Two point five, maybe with Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah
1: maybe yeah. so. So let's say even if all together is uh, three millions, but the settlers are six mm-hmm. six hundred thousand, so there are twenty percent of the population of in the. So it's not that we really change. Uh, so the, the language is there. The the same army is uh, is uh, here um, and there, and in all of these countries uh, today, I think there are almost 14 million people. When it's like half half uh, Israeli Jews and Palestinians. Some of these Palestinians live in the West Bank. Some of them are citizens of Israel. Some of them are citizens of Jerusalem. With not citizens uh, uh, because they residence. don't have citizenship, yeah. uh, citizenship status, residents of Jerusalem. Some of them are living in Gaza, but uh, like every group has its own laws. Uh, b- but all of these laws dictated by one regime, which is the Israeli uh, uh, regime. So basically, in this country, half of the people are uh, uh, Arabs, Palestinian Arabs. And among the Jews, also about half of the people, their origins are in the Arab world, Mm -hmm. Uh, like uh, Jewish people that came from uh, Mm -hmm. Morocco, Iraq, uh, Yemen, and etc. It it used to be at one point in the, there was some points in the Israeli uh, history that uh, there there was the majority of the Israeli Jews after the um, big immigration. From uh, the Soviet Union in the in the nineties, I think it's become again half half or something like that. So let's say a three quarter of the people in Israel-Palestine they they are of Arab origin, and with that uh, in Tel Aviv you never listen to Arabic in the street. Not like in Paris. Not like in uh, New York. Not like in London. Not like in Napoli. I don't know. Like not like in every. Uh, Every big city in the world, Arabic is a very important language, and in Tel Aviv, which is the biggest city among the, uh, between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River, like in historical Palestine, or in Eretz Israel, or whatever, Arabic is absent, so... And I think that it, it is very strange. I mean, uh, uh, this thing, especially considering the fact that the big majority of the people that are living in that area are of uh, Arabic origin. It's even more strange when we think about uh, the Jewish, the Ju- about Judaism and the uh, Jewish past. Because we had point in history, like uh, in the Middle Ages, when 97% of the jewish in the world were speaking arabic as mother tank. Mm-hmm. i mean at that point or the bible was translated to arabic that the jewish people will will have access to the bible because people the hebrew was like a second language or praying language but it was not the the main language so here we are in this uh, situation, and, and many, I mean, it's not only that it's not a common lang- uh, com- common knowledge uh, uh, of English-speaking people, but it's also not a common knowledge today, neither of Israelis nor of Arabs, that the fact that like somebody like the Rambam Maimonides, uh, it's a big uh, rabbi and philosopher, uh, but he considered to be most or uh, Yuda Levi, or other important uh, Jewish writers, they actually wrote in Arabic, and were translated, and sometimes they wrote in both languages, uh, Hebrew and Arabic. So if we think also of that, the fact that the, this uh, the, the Zionist ideology built Israel as a kind of uh, European forest in the middle of the Middle East, uh, with this self-image um, of we are white, we are European, uh, and a little bit the colonial vision of we came here to educate the the the, the sauvage, the mm-hmm. the sauvage, Solid, savage, yeah. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> the indigenous,
1: population. the indigenous, so so so. So this, I, I found it uh, 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 distorted and very, very strange. And the, the 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 idea of Andalus is to try to create like a resistance uh, to all of these things. But at the same time, in a very simple way, to create a good publishing house mm-hmm. that uh, make uh, its choice uh, uh, by quality, never by... Uh, ideology, to uh, try to make the best translations, uh, the best uh, design, the best presentation, the best PR, the, you know, like to work as a professional uh, publishing house and to try to reach out uh, the maximum uh,
0: readership. Mm-hmm. And you, you uh, from what I read, you you had uh, a, a big support from uh, people like de, Mahmoud Dervish or uh, mm-hmm. Edward Said. Who gave their who give their um, uh, who give their right to translation for for free to the? Uh,
1: I I was very lucky in that yeah. in that sense because uh,
0: the first the first book you translated was. Uh, by, by... Mahmoud Awish. Yeah.
1: I must say that uh, because I I knew him before. I knew all of these people before because I met them basically because of my uh, activism because. Mm-hmm. Um, the the leader of our political party uh, is a very important uh, Palestinian philosopher his name is Azmi Bishara mm. uh, he he's had to he's right in now. exile now he had to leave uh, the country because it was otherwise he would find himself uh, in the prison as the Israelis they can just uh, fabricate uh, charges uh, against you and uh, now he's um, Establishing a university that will be focused in social uh, and social science and humanities, uh, which will be very unique in the Arab world when there is not enough.
0: Uh, it's in Doha, in,
1: in Doha, in mm. Doha. Mm-hmm. and uh, also establish a big research center and many other things. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, is not. I mean, I think that one person cannot do everything. but is not uh, that active. Uh, in the English-speaking english, english speaking world and in Europe, like he used to be 20 years ago. Um, but in any case, uh, when you work with such a thinker, so first you learn a lot, for me it was an important school, but also you are lucky enough to meet uh, many people. So, like uh, like Mahmoud Awish and like Eduard Said and other people. And uh, actually when I came first to Mahmoud Awish and I told him, listen, uh, so so I had I had this access, you know, I could just call him and come to his office in Ramallah. And at that time it was also very easy. You just took your car, you left Tel Aviv and in 35 minutes you were in the middle of Ramallah. Uh, And I was telling him, listen, I want to start this project of a publishing house and I want to publish your book. And he was like looking at me like uh, (laughs) that I'm a little bit uh, too dreamer or this is uh, like this project is, uh, uh, you know, I'm a woman and I was younger and all of this uh, thing. Uh, but then uh, he really liked the result I mean, because he saw the, the books he, he, he knew some Hebrew, so he could judge I mean, to a certain extent and also there were the production level and uh, he saw the reactions, he read the critiques of other people, so he really appreciated uh, our work and then what happened? That in 2001, just because I wrote um, some Egyptian writers, asking them to translate them into Hebrew, while I was already, even though that it was before of the Palestinian uh, uh, the pakbi the Palestinian campaign uh, of cultural and academic boycott and other things, but I. Was already in this position against a normalization, so like against having a normal relationship between Israel and the Arab world while the situation is not normal in the situation of occupation. And I think that is something that people that are moving in this or working in these fields of going back and forth between the two cultures and the two societies should be always aware of. I mean, when we are resisting or when we're actually in the way, even if we don't want to, we found we can f- found ourselves cooperating with the occupation in a way or with the uh, be co-opted or adapt by the propaganda machine of the occupation look how nice this uh, mm-hmm. coexistence uh, or this nice uh, translation initiative and many people don't really understand it but sometimes i think one should know so I, I was explaining this to, to the Egyptian writers. I told him, Listen, I don't I'm against this normalization and also I know we cannot sign normal contracts. Also it was the, the issue with Mahmoud Oish. I came I, I when I came to him first because he was the first, I was telling him, Listen, I I want to publish and uh, and he told me the fact that you are asking me permission is already more than what other people that translated it to me to Hebrew did before because they just translated in him without asking any permission and the fact that I came back to him with copies of the book and all of this was like uh... so then um, I was telling this to these Egyptian writers that we cannot uh, that I'm against normalization and I'm not working with the state apparatus the Israeli state and uh, uh, what are exactly my political convictions and all of this stuff but even though Um, I think I I can analyze it but it's longer for another conversation maybe Mm -hmm. there was a big um, it started a big uh, polemic, a big scandal in the Egyptian uh, press and the international uh, Arabic press Uh, at the time I collected about 100 uh, articles against and for translating to Hebrew which always the question is is translating from Arabic to Hebrew is normalization of the occupation or is it resistance to the occupation basically but people had uh, much more to say otherwise there there wouldn't be so many so many articles of so many different people and I was uh, so lucky because uh, people like Mahmoud Darwish asked about it Uh, Edward Said wrote um, articles about it, uh, uh, big other big writers, like Huda Barakat, like uh, Mohammed Shukri, the late uh, uh, Moroccan writer, and many, many other writers. So it was very good for the ego, you know, like to have all of these people that you admire, fi- suddenly uh, speak and write uh, how important uh, is what you are doing. Um and at this sense, uh, I, at the same time, after that, uh, and I, I have, I think, the, 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 the intellectual scene in Egypt is very problematic. We can see it now with all what happened in Egypt, how many of these intellectuals, at the end of the day, uh, they uh, they just became against democracy and uh, with the the Sisi regime, which is military yeah. di- di- dictator uh, regime only because they are afraid of uh, religious people which I think so and uh, w- for me it's it's really because I met people that I really appreciate and I appreciated for many years and uh, suddenly they are my political uh, enemy because I mean I'm I'm not afraid and I think that one should not be afraid of religious people not in France and not in <laughs> the abroad and not in Israel uh, it's more important to create a kind of a coexistence of religious and not religious but it it happens everywhere I mean it's not only the fr- French uh, pathology of uh, <laughs> being against uh,
0: it's particularly uh, bad here that's for sure, no,
1: I I, I'm not sure I'm, I, because here the, I mean here you don't kill people like you do in Egypt mm-hmm. you know I think that uh, mm-hmm. the, this uh, the thing is that it's different because there is no such a laïcité uh, I mean, the, the. Um, I think that we... we I just I answered the first question. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to finish our hour like this. Right. So, so in any case, um, uh, so the, the Egyptian uh, uh, scene, I think intellectual scene is very problematic for many reasons. Uh, and I, I chose not to translate any... An Egyptian writer. Uh, even though that, after that, I happened to meet many of these writers, and um, some of them just to, uh, like whispering to me, "You can do it. We will. We just. Don't, we will tell. We will say that we. You did it we, without asking us." And I told them, "I don't want to do it." Uh, that way i offered them like i offered mechanism of like okay we are not going to sign a contract because of this normalization issue and it's it's in any case it's uh, symbolic because uh, so i offered to take the royalties money and to give it to like libraries and refugee camps but actually because unfortunately my real problem was not the egyptian writers I mean, the the good thing was, like I told you, that I had this ego massage by the, all the other important uh, writers in the Arab world. But my real problem at the end was the Israeli, uh, the Israelis, and the fact that I I didn't found uh, I didn't find uh, enough readership to read the books. But. Um, but at the end, I was in a situation that many writers from all over the Arab world were approaching me in a way, wanted to, I mean, they wanted to be translated because the echo in the Arab world and in international media was very good. And also, it was nice. I mean, I think that it's nice for an Arab writer to be translated to many languages in the, which mm-hmm. Hebrew... Is one of them, and even like, I can tell you that, for example, uh, Elias Khoury he, he 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 got a UNESCO award for translation of literature of Arabic literature to other languages. So the first language that was men- mentioned was Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So, so 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 it has some importance uh, for this. So in this sense, uh, the project was very interesting, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, the main target, which was like to create a change in the Israeli society in a way, uh, that uh,
0: did, this didn't work. Mm-hmm. And fr- from what I understand is that um, you you had two types of writer within the Israeli uh, uh, scene, which and. I think none of them were the one you were maybe aiming for. One is uh, one is uh, maybe symbolized by uh, Ariad Sharon himself. It's like uh, knowing the enemy, so you have to to read the the, literary, the Palestinian literature to be able to to uh, to counter it and uh, and this kind of thing. And the other, which I find more interesting in in how we organize the struggle, is Maybe what we could call—I mean, it's—it's not—you did not write that, but maybe that's the way I interpret it. But maybe the 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 very uh, uh, the very non-consequential uh, Israeli left, in in the sense of like uh, wanting peace but not really understanding the axioms of what what uh, is uh, what is the problem, so to speak. So like, I, I mean, in the text in the text that I read, you were talking about. Uh, uh, people who had a um, uh, a false sense of peacemaking which i i, I think it's uh, it's particularly interesting because it's it's not just that's where we see it's not just about intention which obviously uh it's it's much more problematic than that so c- could you maybe address that a little bit i
1: think uh, first i i'm not sure that in the text that you read but in other texts i do quote mahmoud Darwish because yeah. he he said it many times mm-hmm. in his interviews that um he thinks that the Israelis that read him it's either to like to know the enemy or to for the purpose of to make peace with and actually the big change and also I I I agree with him uh, is that they will read you as another poet like they read a Polish poet or Mm -hmm. a South American writer and this is because this is the real thing Mm -hmm. I mean the real thing is not to have this artificial political thing but but to to think about so at the end of the day we do want normalization but not normalization of the occupation normalization of the situation like having the arabic literature there as a normal thing and what happened to me that i was choosing like the most most of the the things that we published they have nothing to do with the uh, nakba the palestinian thing the israeli Palestinian conflict but really to give a variety of uh, of novels from the hard so on different mm. things and especially uh, uh, but but first and foremost we chose the the titles. I'm I'm thinking I have this habit to say we oui, we oui, but at the end of the day it was me mm. <laughs> myself uh, of artistic uh, uh, criteria. But the books that gained some success were the books that we were speaking about uh, direct uh, politically uh, that they they taught uh, the, the uh, political uh, issues like uh, uh, Babi Shams The Gate of the Sun of Elias Khouri The Gate of the Sun of Elias Khoury, which deals with the Nakba I mean this book is our sellers and also it's Bestseller, quote to quote, because uh, it didn't cover its expenses, but it was it sold because if we, sp- we speak of numbers, so like Babi Shams, I think that we sold like four thousand copies. When of most of the other novels that uh, that doesn't speak about if it's about the Lebanese or Hanani or or Saleh, it was three hundred, and you cannot cover uh, translation, especially because it was very difficult for us. Uh, I mean, even when we got some support, it was not to cover all of the expenses, and it was to do uh, other activities, like meetings in the libraries, uh, once we got a grant from the European Union, but it, we never found money to finance the translation or the publishing itself, like directly, for many reasons, which is another big issue, and I don't know if it's still the same, because I, it has been a couple of years that I didn't try to get any money. Mm-hmm. And most of the, I mean, I financed this project myself from money that I had and I lost. We financed, I financed it by working by doing a, giving a publishing services to other companies, NGOs, foreign publishers that needed a, like a, because we did also bilingual and trilingual publications, so it's 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 became a. Um, another uh, metier and other things that uh, i can do so but but we never really uh, and also because it's in israel in general the culture uh, there is no much support state support for culture it's not france and it's not the united states we don't have this tradition within rich people to give to culture so so all the cultural uh, cultural field is very poor, uh, and then when you try to do high quality translation and you try to pay well to your translators and to your editors and to your designer, so it's it's very difficult. And we didn't manage. We didn't manage. Uh, it just uh, luckily I had what I mean I could, but at one at. One point, I didn't have any more money, and I was too tired to to work out to, to feed it because it was it's like it was too expensive a hobby, which also was it showed us how the situation is uh, problematic because first, as I I was saying, it's like it's a, a, there is a lot of translation to Hebrew from French, from German, from Russian, from nowadays it's more and more from English, but historically it was from many. Uh, Other uh, languages, and now again, all the book—I mean, the the book market everywhere—has been changed a lot in the in the last decade. But when we started in 2000, it was still the uh, the old patterns. So um, at the time, the same book that uh, so you can never know when you when you publish. It's like lottery—you don't know what will. uh, But let's say in average. The same thing that we bo- we manage, the same quality, the same style, more or less. Then we systematically sold uh, only three hundred, four hundred copies. Uh, at the same time, things like that from other languages would be, be ten times more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, s- and it was still difficult for the publisher, even if it's ten times more the the, the sales. So at one point uh, we were uh, active like for 7 years in quite an intensive way i think we had like 24 titles but some of them are. and then uh, we had uh, an attempt to re, uh to restart by publishing because uh, Naomi Klein the Canadian bestseller uh, writers that wrote uh, No Logo*. Uh, she offered me the rights of *The Shock Doctrine*, and our idea was that this book, because she's a bestseller writer, and that this book will give us some oxygen to to be able to to translate and publish more Arabic titles. But actually, we it didn't even cover its own. Expenses uh, because uh, we did it as a part of a political campaign uh, that spoke about uh, boycott Israeli institution while not boycotting the Israeli readers and trying to work in Israel but without cooperating with the establishment, which is always what. And apparently, it doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore. And we were boycotted by the readers. Very little. uh, Our sold were. and and again in in a way i'm i'm joking and it, it's important but in a way we made her arab <laughs> so unwanted like our because what happened before the the shocking things that some of this book that sold at the end the 300 or 400 copies they got 20 critics in the newspapers the, the big newspaper that praised them so you could think but there was this um, this blockage, this thing uh, about Israel is that uh, there is all of this superiority thing, the fact that, that what is important is the politi- is the European culture or the American culture, that we are actually kind of an island. So people, even people with uh, a lot of uh, goodwill, you know, that really want peace, etc., they will say uh, Yes, what is imp- it's so important what you are doing? It's so important. And then I would ask him, but did you buy any books? Did you read it? But they they couldn't really think that uh, uh, it, it was not important for them as to as it was important to, to read the, the new Paul Oster, mm-hmm. you know, or the new I don't know which uh, French writer because, uh, that was translated because it's it's not like the things that one should do or something uh, uh, like that so there was a big gap between our success in the media between the critics that were excellent and the fact that at the end of the day except uh, a few exceptions we, we didn't manage to sell books mm-hmm.
0: but uh, I, uh, the, the, the sort of uh, follow up conversations that I wanted to have um, regarding this work you've been doing with others. Uh, is the idea of a of a common imaginary that we can think in the context of a of a manifesto for a common state and uh, and um, and you you kindly send me uh, a link towards uh, the film by Al Sivan that he, he did that's called uh, uh, I guess in English it would be a common state a potential conversation that involves the about I don't know fifteen fifteen people half half Israeli Jews and half Palestinians. Uh, I mean we can quote a, b- a few people: uh, Omar Bakuti, Sandy Hilal, Rosin Bisharat, uh, uh, Ariel Azoulay, Ilan Pape, I mean um, all those very uh, extremely interesting people, and including yourself as well, and um, and discussing about about this um, this scenario of a common state, which as we were talking about when we were preparing this conversation. It's it's fairly obvious to many many of us who were, who were uh, as being as being by very far the most uh, uh, wishable scenario for to end the occupation to allow the right of return of the Palestinian refugees. I mean, there's 4.5 million people that are still waiting to to um, if not come back at least be granted the right to come back. Um, and uh, so it it's it's a very interesting uh, two hours long uh, conversation between uh, all of you but uh could could we talk a little bit about about that because i mean right now i feel we are we're surrounded by by people who are and i mean we we saw it with the 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 votes uh from various european parliaments i mean the swedish parliament the english parliament the french parliament recognizing the palestinian state and somehow we could feel that it is something intuitively good in the fact that we are uh it seems to it seems to it seems to grant a few rights to to the Palestinian but really when you when you think of it as uh for the in the big picture it's it's actually pretty bad news for what it means it sorts to it sorts to be a, an update of the Oslo Accords, or uh, this kind of thing do do you agree
1: um, it's a very complicated question. Yeah, message. I'm sorry. It's very it's quite long. <laughs> it's as very well. long. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, listen, I think there is. If, if I mean the the movie of Eyal, he speaks about uh, Eyal Sivan. He speaks about common state and you know, not a, about one state, which is by itself interesting. And there are many others, you know, and people like me. I'm I write and speak about it uh, at least for the, the last 15 years and or more. Uh, it's all of these forms of one-state discourse and all of these discourses that speaks of the place as one. You know, as it, it is one place. where well, actually, there is already one state, as I, I was saying, like one currency, one army. The borders are controlled by one entity, which is the Israeli government, and then at this place, and then because there is always the question, what is the state? You know, a state is, for me, it's geography, borders, currency, and power. In this sense, there is already one state uh, over there, which is an apartheid state, because in these states, uh, different people have uh, are subject to different uh, sets of laws and regulations. And I think that it is very, it is extremely important to speak about the situation as it is now. But as for the solution and as for the political demands, even like my political parties that speak in my language more or less, I mean, our official uh, political uh, plan and demands speak about speaks about two states, the two-state two solution. And why is that? Because there is this international legitimacy, there is all of these UN resolutions, there is all the world that accepting the framework of the 47 um, partition resolution, the 181 partition resolution of 99 November 47, and then you are saying, okay, I have so so actually people think and that this is the way to. To go, you know, because we are, uh, and then you say the the UN voted for this. I mean, so it just have to be implemented. I do agree. I do think that uh, that should be changed. But the only only power that can change it is is organic Palestinian one. And when I'm speaking, I mean, all of these people in the films, they are friends of mine. I mean, most of these people, they we had the social I mean we are not only colleagues or think together we we had some social occasions when we spent time together like both I mean basically the Palestinians Mm -hmm. but with all my respects to my friends and to myself there is no uh, political Palestinian power party or other that is active in the refugee camps, in one hand, in the West Bank, in the other hand, that speak of such a solution, of one-state solution, of common-state solution. I mean, there are some initiatives here and there. There are some intellectuals here and there. There are many Palestinians. That sometimes when you meet, uh, you know, all of these cliché of the taxi driver that we always, uh, everybody like to quote uh, taxi drivers uh, when you go in the West Bank so the taxi driver especially someone like me an Israeli nice one smile and then I speak uh, Arabic and then they're not always sure what is my accent and if I'm not a Palestinian myself and then I'm an Israeli ah the easiest the will be that we will all live together in, in one place but but for that one should uh, frame a uh, a, a framework, a political program, and nobody nobody did it. And, I mean, some. I mean, I'm mean, i not saying nobody, because even myself, I have my own writing about it. But I'm saying that there is no political party. And at the end of the day, uh, I am still a believer in the traditional political, in the, the liberal democracy, mm-hmm. like political parties that are organized, that have an agenda, that try to convince, convince people to support them, to make these people and when it's not organic and when it doesn't come from from at least from the west bank or gaza or refugee camps but you have you have a lot of voices like this in the palestinian citizens of israel but also it's not a hege- hegemonic it's still minority it, it, you cannot put it as a political agenda so it, it is there it is there but but also, And also I think that for many people, especially when they are not Palestinians, like people from the Arab world or French people or other people that fight uh, or that struggle for years for justice in Palestine or in Israel-Palestine. So when they speak about one state, they actually forget that there are Jewish people over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have this vision of uh, Israel um, as a colonial uh, state, which, is, which it is. But it is not a colonial in the sense of a metropole. Mm-hmm. I mean, because actually, despite the image of that people, that uh, Western people, or even like other people uh, have on Israel, on Israelis, as I said, a very small minority of the Israelis are for, from European origin. And even th- th- those people that are somebody like myself, I'm white, you know. I have blue eyes. I'm of European origin, but um, my mother family, they they live in generation in Palestine. My great grandmother, she spoke uh, Arabic and Yiddish. She didn't speak any, not English, not French, not German. She never went to the theater. She she never never listened to Beethoven. You know, she was a. Uh, Religious and and poor and uh, uh, and was born in in the Galilee and uh, my other grandparents they came from Ukraine and Belarusia in the in the thirties so it's not that I have I I don't have any affiliation to to those places I mean it's not this colonialism that you have the metropole where to go back you know where mm-hmm. I should go back okay I mean now I live in France I submitted my... I mean, I hope to, to be French citizen soon because I live already for six years. But but it's not... Uh, so maybe you can say in a symbolical way I found a metropole, but I also know about myself how difficult it is like to learn a new language and another culture and uh, to feel at home in another place. And in this sense... Yes, when you think about it, when the people in the Sivan movie speaks about it, it is so reasonable and so easy to to just to live together and to share the the place together. But as there is no political plan for that, and there is many difficulties, and many people will tell you when you will ask them, I'm not convinced that um, it's uh, like uh, the Israelis will never accept it, or that. The division of power is like that. the The Palestinian will that it's very difficult to to build something common with with uh, justice. But I think I I don't like this. Uh, I I don't agree because if and then if we build two states next to each other with a huge uh, gap, economic and uh, power, it's the same. I mean, it's it's, it's it. uh, I. In any case, I I I hope that uh, these voices will emerge, and they are, they are emerging, and I, I I hope that there will be more and more voices. But I think that it still needs someone to to translate all of this intellectual thinking, which, as I I'm saying, I think that it, there is a lot to go. I think that there is a lot of work. I mean, myself, I have a a research project about it, about the, the reality, etc. That for five years I'm I'm not that I, I'm not trying that much, but I tried twice to get uh, financing to do it, and I couldn't because it's too sensitive politically. Maybe this is another reason that one cannot really work on these issues because you you don't find anyone to to finance it. I mean, even like uh, like the. Um, the founders, they're really strictly with the two two-state. Uh,